Welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast, where two generations of owls, Michael the dad, me, and Hank the son, discuss the latest in movies, plays, books, video games, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast. I am your co-host, Michael Owl, and I am here with Hank Owl. Hank Owl, how are you, good man? I'm good. I am doing doing quite well. I've um, I mean, we're here in uh, we're here in Florida. We're in a new kind of area than we usually are. And I was just finding a wall to hang up my huge collection of knives. Some of them fake. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that oblique introduction in reference to our new segment this time. That that is that is excellent. I uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to point out something, but I think that would then just highlight something so i'll, I'll say it later <laughs> keep going uh, that that was an obvious reference to the the breakout murder mystery whodunit hit uh knives out with daniel craig and anna de armas and michael shannon and jamie lee curtis and uh, sorry, I, I was just going to go on listing the whole cast. <laughs> is Michael Shannon in that? Oh, yes, he is in that. I completely <laughs> forgot that. I was like, <laughs> in my head, I had you making the mistake on that. Like, yeah, no, he was in that. He was really good. Yes, he was. And Don Johnson. And, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Lakeith Stanfield. Oh, that's right. That's right. Nominated for an Oscar. Yes, but not, not for that role. But, but not for been, that role. It's been weird. It's been two years too early. I wonder if they'll... Uh, <laughs> almost got ahead of us. Keep going, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> and I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> so, um, when Knives Out came out, obviously, it was a, I think we, we talked about it on this podcast, I believe. I think, actually, because of the timing of it, we talked about it in the very same chairs that we're talking about it right now because we were in Florida. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but we uh, thought it was very good, and then uh, news came out shortly afterward that there were going to be sequels to it, and we were just kind of reminded of it this week because Netflix bought those two sequels. It's, I mean, I'm not sure on the exact number of box office numbers that the original Knives Out got, but enough to already warrant it two other sequels. And that bought for Netflix for almost four hundred million dollars. Good gravy. Uh, how do you feel about them being with Netflix? Does that mean there's going to be no theatrical release? I I, I don't I don't believe so. That's, that's, that's a little it, disappointing to me. It's had to have happened with other movies, but usually movies that are less uh, excuse me uh, that are less popular when like it starts in a theater and the rest of the franchise is in a streaming service i'm trying to think other other movies that it's happened with psych 2 was uh i don't know psych 1 what was psych 2 or what is psych i don't even know what psych is but okay. like i i remember psych 2 being a a selling point of um peacock when it originally came out that was one of the things that was on it when the streaming service launched and i assume I don't know, that might have been a TV show. Oh yeah, that, but that that confuses me because why would you have Psych why Two? You, why would you call it Psych Two? I don't know. Like that confuses me also. So any Psych fans notify us <laughs> about uh, whether it's a TV series Dude, or a movie. Be careful what you say about Psych. You do not want to get the Psych Army after us. They are they are vicious. I hear. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Just kidding, psych fans. Uh, but there have been things where like things were on streaming service and they'll be released in a movie theater for like one or two weekends to qualify for certain things possibly, right? So maybe it'll be one of those. I would like to see it on the big screen, I guess is what I'm saying. I'd like to Knives yes. Out, would like to see it again. The, I mean, see the sequels and have them be big. Yeah, those were, I mean, usually when they put it out for theaters, it's for Oscar contention because they don't allow just straight. There is a, a minimum amount of days they have to be shown in the theater to be considered, and they usually put the movie out for that minimum amount of days. I got you. That makes sense. And, I mean, Knives Out was a, a, was a good critical success. I don't think it was terribly Oscar-y. I don't remember the nominations if it got, if any. Yeah, I don't think there was any like acting nominations, were there? Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to believe when such a great uh, Maybe ensemble. the script kind of was nominated. Oh, yeah, that, that does feel like the thing that would be nominated. Yeah, script, if anything was going to be, it was probably going to be that. design. Yeah. Any word on what the sequels, and let me know if you're about to cover this. Because uh, when, I, when I first, when you think of something as a sequel, you think, you know, continuing the same story generally. But it, it, this is going to be more like a... Like the Agatha Christie kind of sequels? I, I think it is going to be so, more. It's like a whole it's, new case, right? Yes, it's, uh, it's Daniel Craig, Southern detective, going to another detective thing. Okay. So I wonder, so we'll probably know Lakeith Stanfield, unless maybe he's going to be like the regular police officer he works with, kind of like um, Lestrade is in the you know Sherlock Holmes stories. Maybe. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, the only the only two people confirmed for the sequel are Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson doing it. Okay. Well, those are the two main guys. But I would like to see Lakeith Stanfield kind of in that recurring, even if it's like, hey, I'm going to call my buddy Lakeith Stanfield to see, you know, if we can't get some like some stuff at the police lab or that kind of thing. Yeah. Although I don't know if it'll be in the same town yeah even even so like it's still like i yeah it doesn't have to be in the same town but like I, I would imagine it would not be in the same town who knows who who i just want to see him get some more work i like him I, I like the idea of like long-term relationships and and uh you know private investigators have their like you know their their crowd their crew even if it wouldn't be a big big role and it wasn't it wasn't that big of a role in the first one was it no i mean he's on the poster but no, well, I, I remember mean, having I mean, that him that having him having that many lines. No, it wasn't all lines, but like in a murder mystery, you know, you have these characters and these roles that have to be filled, and you have to have somebody from the police. So it'd be fun to keep them around. Just let me have this. I will. Let, <laughs> I will let you have. I'm saying. I, I mean, maybe it's pigeonholed and it doesn't work, but it'd be fun if it did. Yes, and because he doesn't have a sidekick, does he? There was no sidekick really. It was like I mean, as no. close as he came was. Either the Anadarmus, which wasn't really that you know a sidekick character, was the key Stanfield, I guess. Yeah, so he, does, he doesn't have a Watson yet. Yeah, yet, yet. he may acquire. Oh, that Watson. could be like the next. Yeah, that could be part of the, the next story. Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite excited for these sequels. Not even because of just uh, what they'll be about, but just like with how franchisey everything is like nowadays it's like it'd be interesting if the franchiseness continues to have a franchise that i was there to see the first movie of before it was a franchise oh that's a, that's a fun idea yeah yeah that would be cool so that's i'm glad to have uh have one of those yeah there if if the franchise ownership of uh 
the lar- of the theaters continue. Where are they in the process of making this thing? Is there a script yet, or do we know, or anything? Um, I'm not sure. It's supposed to... I, I think they must have started, because I think it's supposed to film in June. Okay, yeah. So hopefully the script is complete. Yes, uh, in uh, Greece, I, I believe. Oh, cool. Fun. Anyways, I like it. I like detective stories, and I liked uh, this character. So that's that's really, really cool. Um, part of the, the the fun of the, the first movie was kind of seeing the cast that we listed several several <laughs> yeah. members of in the beginning, kind of seeing them, Tony Collette, yeah, <laughs> seeing them uh, interact with each other. So, what what cast members would you want for sequels? Well, clearly, I'm I'm really plugging hard for Lakeith Stanfield <laughs> and, and his role. I don't know. So we like who uh, who would be fun to see? Uh, I guess investigated by that uh, detective. What's his name? I've forgotten the guy's name. The master detective, the southerner. Uh, Benoit Blanc. Oh, Benoit Blanc. Yeah. All right. Uh, so who would Daniel Craig? Oh, you know what would be? F- oh, great idea here, or really possibly a bad idea. We'll find out. Uh, there was just an interview recently with. Daniel Craig talking to Michael Mads Mikkelsen because they're, you know, two actors and they had this very famous scene in one of the Bond movies where Mikkelsen's torturing Daniel Craig. So I think that'd be fun. Their their play was very, very cool off each other. So I think it'd be fun to have Mads Mikkelsen be like the villain in this uh, a, a Knives Out sequel and kind of see a repeat of that that dynamic because they were really great together. That, uh, that, that seems like a good, it's a good thing. Um. Uh, the main person I want to appear is the ghost of Christopher Plummer. If they could resurrect him and have him be in this movie, I think that'd be a big win for the world. If anybody could do it, it's the ghost of Christopher Plummer. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't mind uh, Matt Smith. He's branching out more into movies these days. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. That'd be cool. What about a, like a femme fatale role or a, a female lead? Is there somebody you would like to see? I don't know. A lot of people want... Uh, when the I've heard a lot of people saying they want John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, which I know you're you're confused <laughs> by everyone's fascination and like like liking how how much everyone seems to like John Krasinski. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm getting I'm getting over that. Though. But you you never watch The Office though, so you don't. Well, I certainly was never, never watched. Never ever. was really into The Office. I watched the first couple of seasons. You know. I, I stopped watching. And I guess you also did not watch A Quiet Place. I didn't. I did not watch. But I did see him as Jack Ryan and thought he was pretty good. I only, didn't stay with that series either. I watched maybe three or four and thought it was good. I get it now. I get it. He's very likable. Yes. Yeah. And they could play a husband and wife because they're husband and wife in real life. Get it, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. I do indeed get it. Um, just uh, I've, I've heard people throw out Idris Elba. Sure. Let's see him in anything, right? Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, what we're naming are kind of bigger stars. And I know, like, I mean, the movie had a lot of great cast members, but maybe not like huge stars like Edris Elba. Right. But since it did so well and they got two picks coming and they're on Netflix and they got tons of money, they probably could get big folks. That's true. That's true. And, like, I do feel like this is like a. I feel like this is a really good get for Netflix. 
like I know, like, I mean, obviously it was $400 million. That's was probably a lot of bidding for the franchise, but it does feel like this is like a smart decision because the first one made a lot of money. I imagine the sequel will make a lot of money as well, though it's hard with streaming services. It's hard to tell whether it makes a lot of money, I guess gets a lot of viewership. Um, but like, and the movie don't seem that expensive to make. Yeah. Or at least compared to like, you know, blockbusters that they know that they also know will get a lot of money. I wonder if with, because Brian Johnson is a pretty, I don't know, I think he's really a talented guy. And obviously he reads a lot and is aware of all the genres and the subgenres. So I wonder with, cause with Knives Out, the first one, you know, it's kind of your classic, you know, Agatha Christie, everybody's in one house uh, kind of story. You know, if it was a stage play, it would have worked very well too. And yes, there was some other location stuff, but it was mainly like kind of that classic Agatha Christie kind of storytelling, a mystery. There's so many mysteries out there and so many subgenres of mystery. I wonder if he's going to completely like change, uh, yeah, change subgenres. And we're going to see something like really expansive and wild and kind of involving like chases and I don't know, um, more like epic in like a James Bond kind of way or Mission Impossible kind of way. Or if it's going to stay kind of small. Um, and he'll be like going to some remote Greek island, you know, and where things are taking place. I'll be, I'll be curious to see which way they go. Because I feel like Ryan Johnson has, has tackled a lot and done a lot. And I can't imagine him repeating himself without some kind of fun wrinkle to make it really interesting for him. Um, I'm, I just can't wait for uh, Daniel Craig to uh, time travel and meet his younger version of himself played by Bruce Willis. <laughs> is that a looper joke? That was a looper joke. <laughs> okay, is Daniel Craig involved? In, like, what's okay? I didn't get it fully. I don't the, think the, the joke and no other complexity besides this is that Ryan Johnson also directed Looper. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. I think I'd forgotten that. That makes it that that that, that completes the circle for me. I appreciate that. Or he'll meet uh, the high school amateur detective. Trying to solve a mystery involving drug drug dealer. <laughs> called Brick. That yes. was really good. Why? That, that's the same joke as the Looper one. <laughs> no, the joke's equally as bad. But <laughs> the Brick movie was really, really good. Oh, you were not complimenting the joke. You were complimenting <laughs> no, the no, movie no. Brick. No, no, no. I was going to the movie Brick. The, the joke is, 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 was, it was a fine joke. But uh, the movie Brick, I really I enjoyed more than Looper. Well, now. I would well, like to see, really see Looper. And maybe in uh, Knives Out 3, he'll. <laughs> <laughs> Go to a gonna be the, to a cas- which Jedi did to a huge casino <laughs> and free the alien horse people. Oh my god, that'd be perfect! The salt planet of Krakow or whatever. <laughs> Krakow, <laughs> that's Poland. Sorry, <laughs> of um, what is it? Something like that, isn't it? Crate, crate. All right, so they're not f- not terribly far removed from Krakow. It starts <laughs> with the same sound. All right, let's. I think I think we've exhausted <laughs> all that could possibly let's, be talked about. We should out. probably move on. It feels like five years of <laughs> past. <laughs> exactly. No, but the the main thing we're talking about. We're now on summer vacation. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, was that no the start? Spring break. Was that the start of? <laughs> yeah. That's how the conversation started. Well, it's the mention thing of spring break. You really. 
They can't let us get close to a microphone. Right, right. Continue. Continue, please. But Okay, but the main thing we'll be talking about today is episode three of Falcon and Winter Soldier. We've been covering each week. Actually, no, that's a lie. We <laughs> yeah. have been covering each week. We did not do episode two last week. Uh, it was just a busy week for us. We did not have the time to do it. It was not because we did not want to do it, but we just did not have the time to do it, which is also the reason why there is not a Snyder Cut podcast posted, even though we're pretty proud of that podcast. So we'll be... We'll be getting that shortly, and you can listen to that. Yeah, these are both on me, and I'm going to work on them tomorrow, I promise. And uh, Kevin, again, thank you for doing the uh, podcast. Yes. But yeah, uh, episode three of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, the series director... Oh, wait, spoilers, by the way. There's been spoilers for each of this. I'm sorry. I don't know why I forgot <laughs> what I was talking about for a second. Um, uh, this, this is spoilers. If you haven't watched the episode... Go watch the episode and then come back and listen to this. It's available on Disney Plus. It is available on Disney Plus. We never do say where you can watch our things. I don't think. Oh uh, well, yeah, we should start doing that. The whole series, well, actually, no, the first three episodes of the series because it released weekly are available on Disney Plus. And the series director of the series is Carrie Scogland. This episode in particular, which is entitled "Power Broker." was written by Derek Kolstad, who wrote the John Wick movies. And the TV show itself was created by Malcolm Spellman. The character of Sam Wilson slash The Falcon was created by Gene Colan and Stan Lee. The, character of Bucky, the characters of Bucky Barnes and Captain America were created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And the character of The Winter Soldier was created by Steve Epting and Ed Brubacker. What did you think of the episode? This was my favorite episode so far. Uh, I enjoyed that we're kind of in the meat of it now. I liked they we got to see some old faces that I was fans of in previous MCU stuff, uh, specifically uh, Peggy Carter's niece, whose first name I've forgotten. Um, Agent Sharon. Carter, I guess, Sharon Carter. So I think she's you great. dresser is Agent 13 as well. I don't think that's been covered in the actual universe so far but that is her comic book alias i wonder if she gets that by the end of this uh, series i wonder if that's uh, it felt like a kind of one-offy for her but maybe it won't be um you looked at me you're looking at me confused like what do you mean like so like no no it, i'm just trying to remember for, part of me thinks that in the her credits on civil war like oh she was already name, age of 13 yeah i'm trying to think her like her name kind of showed like during the credits and then the shadow it created the number 13 Oh, that's really cool. I don't know if that's accurate, but I, I for some reason I think I remember that. Gotcha. So I I I, I like that actor. Uh, I thought I like her that role. Uh, I like what they did with her. Like, she's kind of jaded, and like her life's been really hard, and she's learned probably new skills and stuff. So I, I was great to see her, and I loved seeing Daniel Brühl as uh, Baron Zemo. Uh, so I, it was fun to see those two faces, and I kind of like where I think the story's story seems to be heading. Uh, what about you? What do you did you like it? I liked it less than you did, and part of what I'm going to say is going to sound like I'm a negative Nancy. I've been feeling <laughs> like a negative Nancy because most of the media I've watched recently, I felt a little negatively towards. But actually, that's part of the reason I wish we had recorded an episode two podcast because I really enjoyed episode two. But you'll never get to know that. <laughs> Maybe you will mention a thing or two you liked about two as you're talking about three. Since okay. they're all related. Okay. Uh, 
one thing I did actually think was pretty good in this and a complaint we had about episode one was that the action scenes we didn't think were that interesting. I think the action scenes are much better. If you look at the scene where uh, Bucky kind of, I mean, is pretending to go Winter Soldier mode, but kind of is going Winter Soldier mode by, you know, beating up all these power broker henchmen. Like I, I found that scene to be really, really cool. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, but some of the stuff that I didn't like were some of the dialogue annoyed me a little bit and just made my like I don't know everything. Ah, that wasn't good. Can you think about a moment you're that you're talking about? No, I'm bringing this up because a moment that I thought about this was the uh, moment in which Winter Soldier. I mean, and when Bucky goes Winter Soldier mode, where like Zemo's like, "Wow, he did that really easily," and it's like, "Yeah, we can all see he did that really easily." Like he went back into the Winter Soldier. It was not difficult for him to go back into the Winter Soldier mode. Oh. I, I felt that was obvious and part of the main reasons of the scene. And it, this is a total nitpick, but I kind of it annoyed me a little bit hearing Zemo spell it out for the audience. So I interpreted that differently. I took that as Zemo continuing his strategy of divide and conquer from. No, no, he that, that is part of it. He's definitely trying to. Yeah, so I didn't create. feel like that was for the audience. I felt that was just for Sam, implanting doubts in Sam's mind about uh, Bucky's kind of state of mind. Well, yes, that's all part of it. But I feel like it's it is possible for the audience to know and see that uh, distrust in Sam's mind just by that scene itself. So just not, like just a close up of Sam's face without the dialogue would have been enough. I, I, I feel that yeah, because I we, that. we see him transition easily and Sam also sees him transition quite easily. I think it I think it is reasonable for the audience to be able to know that those connections are being made. Yeah, I hear that. That's our joy. That that one didn't that didn't bother me. But no, and most of my problems with this are, are nitpicks. It still has all the, the good things that that the show has continued to have. Yeah. Um, one thing that I that I noticed about this episode is it's very kind of like spy. It's very similar to a spy movie or a kind of normal action movie, and which makes sense because Derek Kolstad, again, writer of the John Wick movies, creators of some of the most more popular action heroes of right now. And part of me, I don't know why. I, this is just personal preference. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that so much. I found when they were in Madripoor and talking to, like, in the bar and in the party dancing and talking to the um, the boss, the boss lady who I cannot remember the name of, we need to turn on subtitles for the show because I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, and, but, and maybe it's just a thing about action movies because, I mean, this is a major complaint about Tenet that I had. Um, but like, we can we can turn the music down. <laughs> I feel like judging uh, just just um, kind of normally what the most important things about these uh, media things are. I think the dialogue <laughs> is ranked higher than the music. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm I'm proud to see you're a prematurely old man like myself. And generally, I agree with you, because especially because like, but in the action genre, there's tons of explosions and things like that. So I don't know if it's this may be the genre where 
a lot of the dialogue maybe less important. Uh, but I I hear what you're saying. Um, but I guess I guess I found it uh not really compelling me or keeping my attention as much as I uh as I wanted it to. Yeah, it, no, it doesn't doesn't sound like it. It didn't it didn't uh, it didn't grip me like I could uh, for some reason I. Maybe I just don't like that kind of the spy thing, the kind of like darkness, the kind of slum air in Lowtown, I believe it's called. Like that just that stuff did not interest me. Them kind of getting into into costume and pretending to be the with Sam pretending to be the the gangster um pimp looking as he describes that kind of character. Him. I, I that did not that is not something I found interesting. I wonder why that is. I wonder, uh, and the the prison breakout as well felt very action movie. I mean, this I is know. the genre of this it, show, I know, right? I know, okay. that is, <laughs> I know that that's the purpose of the show. So it's not really a testament. I mean, this this podcast has never been great critiques of the stuff we're talking about. Well, it's, we're not it's, critics. It's just what we think about, it. and I'm just telling you from my personal preference. This is not something I'm terribly interested by when it appears in the things we're watching. Yeah, something about when TV shows do like quick undercover things, it feels a little, I don't know, cheap is maybe probably not the right word, but and gimmicky is not the right word either, but it's like something along those lines. Like we know these characters, we know we've got an hour, we know they're going to go undercover and that, you know, things are going to either happen poorly or good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hear a little, I think I understand a little bit of what you're saying. Yes. What about um, the power broker? How oh, do you can, think? I, can I make one more comment? Yeah, about always. The and this is a comment I made while we were watching. It's like one thing these kind of action, kind of criminal, like spy movies do. Well, one thing they do not do is give us faith in our prisons. <laughs> right. Like this is a secure facility. He is one of the like top terrorists <laughs> in the world. Actually, both both Bucky and like um, uh, Zemo are like some of the top terrorists in the world, and like they can just get out of the facility that, that, that quickly, that easily. Well, Bucky's I mean, been pardoned, but yeah, I hear you. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, but like they can't tell, like, oh, that's the that's the guy that's killed a bunch of people through a long career as an assassin. Ah, I think he just. Gave a paper to a prisoner. <laughs> yeah. no, that's not, I know they don't notice that, but maybe they should. Right, maybe right. they should get some better people running this facility. Maybe. Like, oh no, we we know we uh, hold uh, Zemo here, the guy that you know blew up the UN. Right. Maybe we could have some more focus and protection on him. Yeah, as long as we're being nitpicky, I did also think. I guess it's Agent Thirteen who I'm thinking this about. Like, she kind of got over that whole thing pretty quickly. Like, she did raise some objections, or somebody raised an objection of like, this guy is like the guy who did this. And like, but we need him. Uh, okay, you know, it's like all right. Know, right. <laughs> or like, I think that the confrontation in the garage uh, where like Bucky's like, you had to trust me, like Cap did. You did it once before. Like, do it again. And I did actually uh, think that was pretty interesting. I thought that was compelling. I liked the callbacks. There were, I think there were a lot of them in this movie, or yeah, it seemed to be, right? Or maybe just the characters. But like, I thought that was a cool moment, and I didn't notice this moment. I didn't remember it, but the moment of like the car and moving the seat back. One of the articles I read said that's a callback to Winter Soldier as well. No, I didn't catch that. I didn't that. remember that. I didn't either. Um, 
but I like the fact that there's those are out there and that they were playing with that and playing with what had previously happened in the MCU. Uh, one thing I did find good about this episode is kind of the later parts of it where they're at the dock area or the shipping area. I felt the kind of interaction, the, the explanation of the super soldier serum was kind of interesting, although I did. I mean, maybe like last night we were watching the episode that man was just feeling negative. <laughs> like man, I was just feeling like I wanted the, the you that using that thing of media as my punching bag. <laughs> right. But the actor who plays the doctor, I guess my problem is not with the actor, but that specific performance. I'm trying to find his name. Actually, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to use the time finding the name because I'm saying something negative about him. Well, tell me about the, uh, that I, I, about the character i didn't find that performance terribly interesting i felt i I don't know why about the the voice that he's using is the kind of like loser like evil doctor kind of thing i i don't know why i didn't like it but i just didn't like it yeah i didn't he didn't he didn't bother me you know what it reminded me of speaking of not speaking of snyder cut but we technically mentioned it earlier everything is speaking of snyder cut yes um (laughs) kind of like uh i guess actually forget what i forget what i'm uh uh, saying about that because that's i guess i shouldn't be saying that because it's too late in the snyder cut to mention it without giving a spoiler warning for for a spider cut Cut. okay i i i gotcha but something in there that was equally annoying kind of kind of resurfaced again yes gotcha yeah i gotcha uh, parts of were there parts of the episode that you liked? I mean, I know you liked it. I mean, you know, I know you didn't hate all the whole thing. Uh, but but it, the, yeah, the the process of them finding out more about uh, the the super soldier serum, the history. I I guess it's maybe like this episode does a lot of good things in getting us excited for the episodes ahead. I just maybe did not like the events of this episode. How did you feel about uh, Captain America in this episode? Now, his one of the things I really, really quite enjoyed about uh, Sam... Um, I, want to, I can't even remember his name. Uh, I know he's his eventually going to become the U.S. agent. Wyatt, Wyatt, um, John Walker. John Walker is the name of the character. One thing I really enjoyed about episode two was the way they portrayed that character. And the way the way Riot Russell acted it, I found that in whole. That, like that was a, that is a character. I think he is right now my favorite character in the show. So what about it in episode two? Did you like? Because he comes and just, saves the day, right on the train. Is that? Yes, I, it's more. I mean, obviously, nobody really likes him. Obviously, I don't like that he's replacing Cat Spot, and he represents the kind of the the American the I'm thinking of the word exceptionalism mm. that. Uh, I don't like as a whole in society, but overall as just quality of character. Um, the guy, I, I, he's my favorite so far and I wish he had more to do in this episode. Yeah. He was not a whole lot of, but we did. I mean, he does kind of, we see him creeping into more of the stuff you don't like as far as I think, you know, what, what captain America, like the negative points that he could be. Well, yes. You know, it's like, do you know so. who I am? You know, saying stuff like that. That's, Exactly. Cat would never say that. And I love the, uh, the it was just tiny little critique of no knock warrants. Oh yeah, Rem- remind me that was part? like don't don't give him time to breathe, don't time to print any papers. Um, 
but yeah, I, I am really liking how they are portraying that character. Yeah, uh, interesting. And I hope we see more of him and see more interesting things. And I kind of hope he isn't gone by the end of this uh, this show as part of the MCU. Right. Um, one thing he's got a whole future in the comics, right? As far as his character storyline, yes, but they go on for his a while. Uh, his um his name in the comics is U.S. Agent, and he's kind of like he kind of is what he is now in the show. He's an anti. He is uh, the uh, the venom to Captain America's Spider Man. Okay. Oh, nice, nice analogy. Uh, but by which I mean he's the evil version. So. But can I, I bring up something that is kind of uh, kind of what we noticed about the show is both of the kind of sidekicks to our uh, big bads here are kind of starting to doubt their importance. We see his uh, we see U.S. Agent's sidekick kind of start to, to question him, and he may betray him by the end. And we also see uh, down back at the uh, we haven't touched on this yet, but the the flag smashers element of things. One of those members being distrusting of Carly Morgenthau. That's a good point. And because I think they're doing a really good job with her character yeah, that's, as well. That's another thing I quote. I, I should have said this when you asked what I liked about this episode because that's my favorite part of the episode is the, the part with the Flag Smashers and then they, they talk about the, the lives they wanted to have before the kind of everyone came back. And Yeah. She mourns the death and which is a very wonderful human moment. And I'm talking about uh, Carly Morgenthau, uh, the head of the Flag Smashers. And she's very, very human and very, uh, you know, soft, you know, in a beautiful way. And then, you know, a few scenes after that, or maybe, maybe in her next scene, I can't remember what happens in the sequence, but is when she does blow up those people, which sows those, that seed of doubt in her like Lieutenant or her second in command. Yeah. The, the show is doing a, very good job, both with the character of John Walker and with the character of Carly Morgenthau. Like, and and developing them in a way that is interesting while also showing why they are bad and need to be stopped. Right. Because I think, um, I, you know, because I, I, I think my uh, political leanings kind of kind of make me root for the Flag Smashers. I, exactly. You know, but not their, maybe, you know, not their methods. You know, the ends do not Justify the means, generally. Yes. For me. Yes. It was the, the, the tweet, like, if we were watching Fact in the Winter Soldier, and my 12-year-old said, like, well, the Flag Smashers want to get rid of borders? That's pretty based. <laughs> exactly. Whatever stupid internet word they use. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, just, just speaking of, like, a, what I like about the writing of it, just kind of ignoring my own my own political leanings. I, I do like how they're developing both of these characters, even though I am mentally more likely to side with the Flag Smashers than I am with... An uh, imperialist U.S. agent kind of person. Yes. What uh, I still don't see how we're going to get through this without making Falcon and even U.S. agent like super soldiers. Well, that... Uh, that uh, like I mean, they need let me, that. Let me segue into the next part I was trying to get into. Please do. Uh, we haven't really covered the the title of the episode being the power broker. Oh yeah, and it's kind of a mystery. I mean, they're kind of setting it that them up to uh, to be a kind of villainous role. I, I'm sure we're going to get more of them 
even if they stay in Madripoor, because it does seem like they're the people that uh that hired the doctor to create the the super soldier serum. And I mean, we see some kind of villainous stuff or some mischievous stuff, I guess, with uh, Sharon Carter, Emily Van Camp actress playing her and from what i've seen the general consensus is that they think she is the power broker what yeah wow I really mean, we, see, like, the, up? we see like the her getting into the car oh i wow i wish you hadn't said that and i i hope it's true but actually the reason i use this as a segue to john walker and getting the super soldier serum the power broker's role in the comics is the person who gives USH and then the sidekick, the super soldier serum. Okay. So right now, what is the relationship between the power broker and the flag smashers? Is that how they became the, the, super soldiers? The flag smashers stole the super soldier serum from the power broker. Okay. But there's still a little bit left, right? Or no? I don't think so. I mean, we see in the second episode, uh, Carly checker tags and like, I'm going to kill you because you stole my, my things. <laughs> what are you laughing at that I don't, I don't know it just struck me as funny um, so I, I I assume there is not that much left although we do see the doctor working on something in the lab but I guess that's blown up now okay well I would like and, for... and but the flag smashers do have the super soldier serum okay but are you, I, I imagine Falcon and US agent will get the super soldier serum the part of me is thinking that like the U.S. U.S. agent maybe already has the super soldier serum, but that's like a secret. Yeah, he has would, physically. I haven't seen him. Yeah, I mean, do I guess amazing. I guess when he jumped from the helicopter onto the moving. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that's just action movie <laughs> right <laughs> powers, but that does seem like something that it would be hard. A to super do for soldier would do. <laughs> yes. But I guess the sidekick does it. Well, the sidekick may also have the super soldier. Yeah, I guess they might. I I really want. I need Falcon to have it too. It seems silly to have like a normal. It seems for either in either case for the normal person to be Captain America. Yeah. Um. At least to me, whatever. What do you think about um? Let's talk about Baron Zemo. Yeah, let's 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 do talk about Baron Zemo. I'm wondering when he's gonna betray them. So yeah, and see, so he's rich apparently too. So like yeah, so he's all actually, his Baron. He has not been a Baron previously, but now he is a Baron. What wasn't his nickname always Baron Zemo? Or no, no, that's his name in the comics. He's only been addressed as Zemo until this episode. Okay, I like I kind of liked how they introduced that like very quick like backstory on that. Yeah, they know? didn't like, they didn't dwell on it too much. You're rich, yeah, Baron. Okay, you're Baron Zemo now. All right, sweet. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> We got free transportation. Wonderful. Um, I wish one thing I I I thought was going to be just an easy compliment I was able going to be able to give on this podcast was the gravitas that Daniel Brühl would have had as Zemo, but I I wish he had more gravitas oh, and interesting. more power being drawn to. I don't know if it's just like uh, no offense to Daniel Brühl, but the way Daniel Brühl's face looks. <laughs> He doesn't look that powerful. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he doesn't want to look powerful. <laughs> that, that very well could be. But uh, he, he doesn't. He His costume looks very cool, especially when he puts on the mask. But for, I have not seen like, and maybe this isn't the type of villain he is, but like this kind of like drawing of power and respect. Like it feels like when he was at that bar 
at uh, Magikarp. Like or, the the club um, where they at Madripoor. <laughs> I just call it Magic <laughs> Magic Magic Carp. I just <laughs> I called it just... Magic Carp, like the fish Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> That's like it's uh whatever that's it's his third form is Madrigor or whatever <laughs> Madripoor yeah uh, uh, but yeah when he's at Madripoor it seems like if he did not have the codes the Winter Soldier thing which in actuality he doesn't like anyone could just punch him and defeat him <laughs> yeah. and he'd be done like he doesn't feel like that much of a threat of and a I feel presence like even like other villains that even if they don't have any powers like. Like there should be a threat there. Like there should be like, oh wow, it's Zemo, and you're really being manipulative. And I know I, I just I pointed out the part where he was being manipulative as a negative. But I wish <laughs> yeah. I wish there were better ways of him kind of. So I have. I do not feel a sense of power okay. watching him. So I have two thoughts. Uh, one reminds me of in Civil War. I also got that, and I th- and I think that was part of the. That's I felt like that was part of the point of his character that he was just. I mean, obviously he's a baron and really wealthy, so he's not like a normal quote person. But the idea of this this normal dude who saw these horrible things happen to his country and family knew that he could not defeat these super soldiers without being smarter and kind of creepy and. Oh, and very Machiavellian, which is what he says he's reading. Uh, and we can talk about that a little bit. I'm not sure if you got that reference or not. Um, but that was like part of his appeal as a character is he's just this kind of schmo who figured out a way to turn these titans against each other and almost win. Well, he so, could still be a schmo and still have gravitas and have power. He just... Right, but I don't. Th- I, again, I thought that was the point: is that he would not have gravitas or power. Like I thought that was designed in his character from Civil War. That's what I got. And it, it could be you could be uh, getting what they're, what you could be receiving what they're supposed to be throwing out. But, yeah, and the, and I'm not. But. And the second thought is, and I don't know really how it works on in a in the film medium, but on stage at least, I mean, there's certain things you do to make. Uh, a character have that gravitas and um, power on stage. One is just, you know, the physical characteristics of the actor Two through costume. You can do that. But the, the, the most important way is the way he is treated by the other characters. You know, it's not the King's job on stage to act like a King. It's everybody else's job on stage to make him seem like the King by the way they react to, uh, to him and I don't know if that translates with film uh, or how if there's more ways that they could have made him more you know of a presence or kind of more believable of being this you know really powerful kind of person or if that's what they're going for you know I don't know I, but I know what you're saying I, I didn't notice it at the time and it didn't really bother me but I'm going to kind of look out for that in the future actually uh, did you get the prince the, the Machiavellian um Machiavelli. I did not while watching it. No. So he's a writer. It was Italian, I believe. He wrote a book called The Prince, and it's basically about court intrigue and you know all the behind the scenes kind of stuff that you see in these like period dramas of like somebody's do blackmailing somebody to do somebody to do something. You know, it's about kind of inner political power versus overt exterior political power. Uh, 
uh, one article I read said like it was very much on the nose, you know, because that's what he did in Civil War, and that's probably what he's going to try to do here, right? So when is he going to when is he going to try to? I mean, he already is, you know, trying to get a rift between uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and exploit it. So, anyways. Yeah. So I did not get that watching it. So maybe it wasn't on the nose article writer. But I guess <laughs> yeah. I now, you know, I mean, nobody's read that book, by the way. Like, I think I was assigned it or maybe it was an option of books. Like everybody, everybody knows the reference. It's one of those things that is, it's so out there now that nobody actually reads the source material of why it's, it's like an animal farm kind of thing or like a 1984. Like everybody uses the 1984 reference, but like, like Kafka-esque. I mean, kind of so. Yeah. Like people haven't read Kafka, but can use Kafka-esque. It's that, it's that kind of thing. You know, I don't even know if it's taught in schools anymore, to be honest with you. Maybe in political theory. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Get us back on track. Yeah. So what, I mean, we were talking about. Zemo, right? Yeah, we're talking about Zemo. So, like, yeah, I, I like what they're doing with this character so far. I, I do. And I'm curious what he's gonna. Well, what do you think is gonna happen in the future? What do we? What do we got? What do they set up? What I do mean, they have Zemo to pay off? At one point, is gonna betray him, right? I mean, they're trying to. It seems like the main subject of uh, of the kind of the the want for our team is to get to these flag smasher people, right? So I imagine he'll do some betraying when they get there. What are the flag smashers trying to do right now? They're still are they still running, or do they have a grand yeah, plan set up too? I mean, they're still on the run. I mean, they said they stole vaccines, right? We do not know of a grand plan, but maybe as Carly gets more kind of a uh, threatening, it's more evil. They will come up with some some grand plan. Yeah, they've got a. So far, we don't. They don't have a MacGuffin except for it is to like to. Con, I mean, we know their big plan of like get rid of borders and things like that, right? But we don't have a smaller kind of tactical how they're going to do that. Oh, and do we know what they set on fire? Like we see them set on fire, but like there were still the, people there. What was the important? What was it? What was the? Do you remember that? I don't. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Should I pause while we look it up? <laughs> no, I, I think it's fine. I think, I think it's fine. Should watch on subtitles, maybe. No. <laughs> All right. Subtitles. Again, I have mixed feelings about the subtitles. It's a visual medium. We want to see things, you know, and the subtitles get in the way. But all at the same time, if you can't understand them, what's the point? Yeah. All right. Here's, a, here's another That's thing. why I think we should do two viewings. One without the subtitles, one with. Well, it's easier for WandaVision because there were shorter episodes. That's very true. Maybe maybe we don't have the time to watch things twice. <laughs> maybe we don't. Oh, but uh, can I can I just insult another person's face? Yes, please for go for it. And this isn't insulting. I think this is just a fact, and was probably involved in the 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 casting of Aaron Kellyman. As Who is this, she? This character, who's um uh, the Emphis Nastin Solo. Oh yeah, so she's yeah oh, she's sorry, the sorry. Her, she's the bad. Her face does not look very threatening. Well, I would I I I would say that in her face. I, I that's yeah. Just I'm looking at her IMDb profile right now. See, I disagree. I I get I anyway, get I, I, from the way I they set up that character. I I think the more likely thing to happen with that character is she gets turned to the good side rather than goes full evil. That's what you think is going to happen, or is it or is that what you're like reading from her face, or like that's what I think is going to happen. Okay. I, just, I was also brought up the kind of. Uh, non 
threateningness of her face, which makes me think that she's going to be more of a sympathetic character rather than like a full-on evil you, person. Yeah, you might be. I don't know. I think she has a, a face that where I could get, again, I, I don't, let's, let's remove the discussion of her face because I don't know what you yeah, like. No, I don't know why. Her I, eyebrows I, don't arch. Or like, I don't you know, know why I brought Where's her up. monocle? Like, <laughs> how do we know she's evil? So like, Where's her mustache? Her right, well, mustache. What is she going to twirl? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let, let's get off her face and just give off the presence that the character is giving you. And so it's giving you, you don't, you're not getting, you don't feel threatened by this character, even with the actions of her killing those people and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Although that could be part of the play. I mean, I've kind of, I'm being like Bucky was, we're like, Hey, we're going to help you. And then she right, exactly. Hey, the these truck. are my presumptions about a, a big bad and females and all that. So, yeah. So maybe I am, I am being the kind of, the kind uh, of, Connie of honest member they want you to be probably maybe. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I'm about to get punched in the face by Aaron. <laughs> Kelly, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deserve it. Exactly. <laughs> and you're going to deserve it. Yeah. Uh, I'll be yeah. I'll be curious to see what they do with her character. We only have three episodes left. I mean, I think I do not think the Flag Smashers can be the main villain. I feel like they are too, with our current too sympathetic for our current political climate. I feel like we can't we can't have like an anti-borders terrorist organization be our be our main villain. It's either I think it's going to be Zemo, or U.S. agents going to transition into that role, or the power broker. Yeah, they're right. We got there could be they could go several different ways. They've set up a lot of things, but they nothing, no path that is couldn't could be veered off of very quickly. And what what do you think is going on? Or what I, do you or answer that? Or what do you want to have be going on? Uh, what I think is going on is. Possibly, maybe around episode five, or I guess this is not what I think is going on, but what I think is going to happen, that maybe while our our group of people are going to take down uh, the Flag Smashers, U.S. agent will also be there, and then maybe at that point, U.S. agent will get himself some, some super soldier serum. Or possibly the power broker will get there first, get the super 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 soldier serum back, and then the U.S. agent will get the super soldier serum from them. I think power broker is going to transition into our, um, or our uh, Buffy the Vampire or Joss Whedon big villain of the season. And do you think? And do you think it's Agent Thirteen? I'm not sure. It may be. That would certainly be an interesting thing. I mean, I love. I would have never thought of that. And uh, heretofore this episode, I would not have uh, even pictured that being within like a possible character arc they could pull off. But again, what they did with her in this episode was brilliant, I thought, as, as far as moving her towards this dark, cynical side where something like that could happen. So yes. maybe. I don't know. It's like nice, nice character depth. Well, well, before we make any decisions, I'm going to have to look at her face. <laughs> Clearly, because that's, yeah, that's the important thing. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, are you evil enough, Agent 13? Let me see your face. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. All right, that was fun. Anything else to uh, to talk uh, what, about what, episode three? Let me, let me ask you this. What do you think is going to happen? I, 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 well, I think, you know, 
John Walker slash Captain America is going to keep going more imperialistic and less observing of laws and ends justifying means. So he's going to go further. Um, I wonder if they'll pull him back at the end, but I don't think so. I think he's going to be one of the truly evil folks. Well, I think at some point at this show, Anthony Mack is going to have to get himself a Captain America light costume and come into that role. Yeah, he's got to step up. I like the fact that they, Bucky mentioned that he would, you know, think about doing it or might do it in this episode. I thought that was really cool because for me, at the end of Endgame, I was like, why is Falcon going to be Captain America? But the thought I had against that, to, which is not a new thought for everybody else, but I think for the first time I really kind of took it in. You can't have Bucky, a former assassin who's killed hundreds of people, be Captain America. Yeah, no. It just can't happen. But uh, before, and it always bothered me that they chose that Steve chose Falcon over, over Bucky. Well, I think, but well, that makes perfect sense. I think, I think uh, Captain America knows that. <laughs> I think yeah. Steve knows. But. Well, yeah, but I'm, it's always bothered me because, like, again, how can you have a non-super soldier Captain America? I mean, what's the friggin' point? Uh, so, anyways, um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think we I think we end with Falcon fully embracing Captain America, his role as Captain America. Well, maybe it's it's Steve noting Sam's bravery without those super soldier serum. The same reason Steve got to become Captain America. Right. I mean, I get I get it in theory, but if you're battling like twenty guys who are super soldiers, like the leader, like I I don't want to watch any fight scenes where. You know, Sam is stopping a punch with his normal thing, with his non-super soldier arm, and the super soldier guy is not going right through his arm and getting to his face. That's what I don't want to see. And so far, they've been good with the flight and all the other things, and you know, it's everything's fine. But I, I'm gonna, my eyes will roll heavily in a one-on-one combat with super soldier versus non-super soldier if the non-super soldier wins, and I don't want that. But, uh, with, this has been my TED talk. But with uh, with enough preparation, Batman could beat anyone. <laughs> yeah. do, do, do you know why I'm making that joke? I mean, I presume you mean the the whole confrontation with Superman. It'd be yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> that's, and that's I thought that was I'm really making. cool because that is to me that's a really hard thing to get over. But they did that in that uh, was that BVS or that was, was that B, that BVS? Yeah, I mean, I bought that. I was like, okay, well, that, that actually works. You're a billionaire and, you got, and you're a genius and you have time to plan something? Great. Sam is not a billionaire. Sam is not a genius. But he does have wings. But he does have wings. And like you were saying, I don't know if you said this on, on the air or off the air, but like, well, how come everybody doesn't just have those wings? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think there was like something in one of the movies that explained why, but like, it's been a while now. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe we should all have these wings. Yeah. <laughs> or all have metal shields. All right, now I'm being nitpicky. Yeah, all have. I'm about to say adamantium, but it's not. Not uh, vibranium. <laughs> vibranium, unobtainium. <laughs> Do you think you should uh, uh, use their trial by co- Wakanda's trial by combat kind <laughs> yeah. of thing to take control of Wakanda and give the vibranium weapons to the rest of the world? Oh my gosh, I love this idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're not Michael B. Jordan though, and I doubt you could beat. Black Panther in a fight. Yeah, I, I, I feel certain I could not. <laughs> All right, anything else for episode three? I don't think so. I All think right. we're, we're excited for episode four. Yeah, I am definitely. 
What uh, are you reading? I finally finished A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James, and it was amazing. It was wonderful. Uh, really dark, a lot of it. Really complex. I've now been binging Marlon James' YouTube conversations, talking about that book, and it's been really fascinating to hear. Um, there's so much in there that I, you know, that I scratched the surface on. Uh, but it's just a really amazing book. So, but I have finished that, and now I am starting uh, the Angels Game, and it's by an author, and I'll say his full name last next time, but it's Ruiz. He wrote one of my favorite books that I've ever read, Shadow of the Wind. And this is part of, I won't say a series, but they're grouped together. There's four books in the uh, the city of the, like the Forgotten Library books, whatever. There's, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to do better next time, I promise. Uh, I'm giving this book and this author credit and get the series name right as well. Uh, but so far, it starts off great, just like Shadow of the Wind did. It also features like a young protagonist. There's definitely like a coming of age kind of stuff to it. It takes place in Barcelona like the other one did. Uh, City of Forgotten Books or Library of Forgotten Books, I think is the the, 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 the umbrella kind of title that these uh, books are under. And it's just fantastic. I, I like it a lot. I don't like it better than the first one yet, but you know, there's a lot that has to happen. But the beginning was equally as amazing. Uh, what about you? I'm still in between the same couple of books that I've been in between. I've made significantly more progress on the Sandman. I'm still casually looking through Ebert and casually looking through the Kafka book. Well, yeah, I think maybe you should divide the Sandman when you talk about it into the different kind of episodes so we can like at least make progress on that. <laughs> you know, uh, like, it might be a while until we because <laughs> like, there's like ten or twelve volumes of that, so it's always going to be Sandman's going to be around. So like, yeah, let's break it down into preludes or nocturnes and whatever you know, the individual things, so they can track your progress. Yes, and we can see what you think of them. Uh, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. This was a lot of fun. I'm excited about the next episode and uh, more podcasts coming out soon. I'll get yes, into the on, editing bay. We're on spring break. We got nothing to do but record podcasts. We're going to have the Snyder Cut coming to you. We're going to have Monkey versus Lizard coming yeah. to you. We're going to have Solar Opposites, maybe. We're not, that's not set in stone, but I think that'd be fun to talk about. We both, we both like that show. Yeah. I think we should talk about it. And we, we, we rarely ever talk about television. I guess we're talking about television now, but we really talk about television that is not attached to movies. Yeah, in a, in a whole season at once as well. So I think that'll be fun and a good exercise to do that anyways. Uh, all right. Thank you so much for listening. De Dago Hoi. Until we meet again. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Owls on Culture podcast. Our theme music was recorded and assembled by Marine Cerzier and Antoine Villain. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can read the latest blog posts from the Owls on Culture hosts and sign up for the Flock email, a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.